when I first became a Christian, I wrestled for a long time with the salvation part of the gospel. You know, I got it, but but there would be times every now and then when I was suddenly unsure again. Was I really saved? I mean, I hear the gospel and, and I do believe, but is, is it really that simple? I, I mean, it, it's too good to be true, isn't it? For someone like me, it's too good to be true. What if I've, what if I've missed something? Verses twelve to fourteen at the end of our text this morning in Colossians chapter one. Well, these verses answer that categorically. Salvation doesn't hinge on me at all. It hinges entirely on God, and on His saving grace to me. So hear this gospel truth clearly in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this letter to the Colossians that we have opened up today is for you. And it is going to hammer that assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ over and over. Because this is the gospel. This is the fundamental and vital truth of God's grace to everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. In Jesus we have redemption and forgiveness by which God has delivered us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of Jesus. And the letter reminds us and reminds us that as believers we ought to always know this truth in our hearts and in our minds and we should be giving thanks to God the Father who has done this for us. Verse 12. We can know our salvation with certainty, brothers and sisters, because it is given to us by God. Hope, in verse 5, hope in our cultural language is a bit of a wishy-washy word, isn't it? But in this biblical context, it means it means a certain thing, but one that we are still waiting to receive in full. And the rest of the sentence actually draws that out for us, if you look carefully, because the hope is laid up for you in heaven. Or as we could render the text here, the hope is is destined for you in heaven. This redemption has been done. This forgiveness stands. By faith in this gospel, verse 4, by faith in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into Jesus' kingdom. Our hope is laid up for us, waiting for us to just enter into it in heaven. And that truth, that gospel of salvation, it's the truth for all believers. Full stop. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, it doesn't hinge on any of those believers qualifying themselves for heaven. The Father has qualified us all in Jesus Christ. And so this glorious gospel cannot fail because it hinges on God. If God's saving gospel could fail for even one person who trusts in him for it, then salvation doesn't really come down to God at all, does it? Rather, it would then come down to each person. 
But praise God for the truth, because the, the salvation in this gospel comes to us entirely passively. The Father has qualified us in Jesus Christ. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Grace to you and peace from him. Paul, by the way, tells us this gospel truth as as an apostle of Christ Jesus, as he says in verse 1. And apostle here means that Paul has been personally commissioned and sent by Jesus to teach us as Jesus' people Jesus' word for us. Paul is Jesus' personal envoy, if you like. You can follow up Paul's commission by Jesus for that work in Acts chapter 9. He wasn't with those 11 on the mountain in Galilee that we read about last week in the commission Jesus gave in Matthew 28. But nevertheless, Paul was directly and personally sent by the risen Lord Jesus. And so these words from Jesus' apostle are the words of Jesus who sent him. I mean, the envoy doesn't take his own ideas to people. He carries his master's word to us. So that gospel assurance that we just opened up with, that we have been brought into Jesus' kingdom by faith in him, it comes to us today as words from Jesus, that Jesus gave Paul to give to us. Although, of course, the time, space, occasion for that was via a letter to a church in Colossae, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Colossi, by the way, was a city in what is what is now Western Turkey, if you like geography. But the letter, of course, is for a broader audience than just Colossian Christians at that time, as we indeed start to suspect by about verse 6, because the same gospel we read there in verse 6 came to these Christians in Colossi, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul stretches seamlessly and effortlessly there from the Colossian church to the global church of all believers, and then back again to Colossae. So too, if we flip over to the other end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 16, we see clearly the idea that that this letter from Jesus is, is for all of his people, not, not just for those people in Colossae. As Colossians chapter 4, verse 16 says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. What Jesus writes through Paul and Timothy into this specific church in Colossae is also, of course, for all Christians. God chose to speak his word to his people in real places and real times in history. And we today sit here in Butler as, as beneficiaries of that. We might think more about the particular occasion for this letter in the first place for these Christians in Colossae later on in the series, because it is relevant to the things we're going to discover in this letter. But for today, let's, let's just think rather about about a few levels at which this letter speaks God's word to us. Because at one end of the spectrum, this letter is about our own faith. As we each come to maturity as a disciple of Jesus. 
Do you recall Jesus' commission last week in Matthew 28 to make disciples? Well, in this letter, Jesus is teaching us here how to live as his disciples. So verse 10, for example, we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This letter will help you and me to grow as disciples of Christ. At the other end of the spectrum, though, the letter also speaks to the growth of of Jesus' whole kingdom across the earth. So verse 6 again, for example, where we saw, as indeed in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Or verse 13, perhaps, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This letter speaks at that level too, to the growth of Jesus' whole kingdom. But in the middle of that spectrum, between the individual believer and the whole global church, we should also see this letter as being about living out the gospel and growing in the gospel in the context of the church family. Because the church family is the natural, local expression of Jesus' kingdom. As he saves individual sinners into his kingdom, he brings us into Christian community. And in fact, something we lose sight of a little bit in the English language is is that all these words that we just read are actually pitched exactly at that level, in the middle of the spectrum. We can see that in verse 2, you know, the communal nature of the letter being addressed to a local church. But all through this passage, actually, the, the pronouns are actually in plural form. We lose it in English, but the you is actually use in the Greek. You all. And so too all the verbs and participles feeding into those pronouns are also in the plural in Paul's original text. So we might read the letter, you know, something like like this, if I can do a kind of clunky English translation to to show you those plurals a little bit more. Say from verse 9, it would be something like this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for all of you, asking that you may all be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to all walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, all of you bearing fruit together in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened as a church with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, all as one giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you all to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you catch the sense of community that that this letter is written in? Make no mistake, there are wonderful Christian truths in here for your soul because they are true for every believer. And yet the letter is necessarily framed to a local community of believers together. And we're going to have to be thinking through this series as we read this letter at all three of those levels really because well, because they're all woven together. Your individual maturity as a Christian will grow and increase by the same power of the same God and the same gospel truth that is assured for every believer in the natural context of relationship. Relationship with others that the local church family provides. Jesus is across all three spaces as he brings new life and growth and fruit out of his gospel.
This is, in this letter we have opened up, this is now part of what Jesus has given us as he calls us to live as his disciples, as he builds his kingdom. And we find ourselves in a church community as the natural context in which that unfolds, alongside brothers and sisters in family. In short, this letter is about living out the gospel as Jesus' disciples together. Which brings us to that beautiful metaphor of gospel life and gospel growth of bearing fruit and increasing in verses 5 and 6. The hope of heaven has been planted in you, Paul explains, and of this hope of heaven you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. These people at Colossae first heard the gospel of salvation from Epaphras, verse 7 tells us. You and I sitting here in Butler all heard it from someone or someplace else. But it's the same gospel and it's the same hope. And likely all of us would have wrestled with it in some way when we first heard it. But by the by, we, we saw it as clear as daylight in the word of God in Scripture. <laughs> like those crystal clear verses we saw down in 12 and 14 before, that the gospel is the word of truth. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We've been rescued. We have been brought in by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. And Paul and Timothy give thanks to God, verse 3, because they have heard about the fruit of the gospel in the lives of these Christians at Colossae, whom for all we know they've never actually met in person. But that's basically what's going on in verse 3 through verse 8, isn't it? Paul and Timothy are just so joyful and thankful to hear that God has given this same gospel to the people at Colossae through Epaphras and that God is now producing in these people all kinds of fruit that grows in every believer out of that knowledge of the gospel of his grace. You see, that's what the gospel does. gospel does produce fruit in those who have heard it and believed, not just in terms of more people hearing it and coming into the church, but but in terms of everyone in the church growing in new life. Verse 9 sheds a bit more light on on that fruit of the gospel, the, the transformed lives that it produces. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul and Timothy aren't just thanking God for the fruit that has come in these other Christians, but but praying for all the fruit that will come, the fruit that will keep growing out of the gospel that's been planted in them. And that's the thing about being a disciple of Jesus, you see. It brings life, and life brings growth. The Holy Spirit wants to work in us and make us more and more like Jesus, pleasing him all the more as he grows and shapes us and increases our knowledge of him. 
You see, the gospel doesn't stop at just saving us. The gospel then transforms us. That fundamental categorical truth for all believers we looked at in verses 13 and 14, the salvation part of the gospel, that's like, that's like a gospel seed. It's like a seed of life. And when that seed is planted in us, that, that knowledge of our having been saved starts to grow new life in us, bearing fruit in our lives that, that is pleasing to God. And so that's what happens as we track through from verse 9. We, we trace through and we see what he's talking about, this new life in us, this, this fruit that grows out of that gospel truth that was planted into us. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a natural flow of the gospel in our life. We are saved. Hallelujah, we are saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Those parts of this text are all past tense truths. We are saved. But out of that truth, out of that truth flows this growth in all these kinds of areas that Paul and Timothy write about here because, because when we know that God has already redeemed us, God has already destined us for heaven, something, I tell you, something inevitably starts to sprout and grow out of that in our hearts. And it starts to take over our lives as we increasingly spend our lives seeing that growth and seeking that growth all the more. Always amazed, of course, but, but humbled too at what God is doing in and for and through us. The gospel saves us, have no doubt. But so too, it then transforms us. When I finally did catch the truth of the salvation part of the gospel, the salvation as all hinging on Jesus, I was joyful. I was joyful and thankful to say the least. But for a long time, I think only at the level of, I don't know, feeling relieved, I guess, relieved that I could even be brought in through that kingdom door. So amazed that someone as sinful as I could even be allowed in, in the kingdom room, so to speak. But Oh, man, forget about anything else. I, I would have been content to now just, just hide up the back somewhere for all eternity, hide up the back and hope nobody ever notices me. Or they might question this gospel, I guess, that, that someone like me should have been let in. I tell you, I'd have been happy to be invisible up the back, invisible, hidden, along with all the shameful baggage I brought with me. But God doesn't want to just pull us in through the door, so to speak, and, and leave us up the back, invisible, hidden. He means to bring us right up close, right into his presence and change us forever. He saves us with this gospel. And then from that truth planted in us, he starts to grow us in a newness of life, slowly but surely producing fruit in us, and all the more so. And this letter is going to lead us right into that part of the gospel too, the change that God now works. 
So as an introduction to this letter, Colossians, and uh, to the series, the fruit of the gospel is an appropriate metaphor because fruit is what God grows in his people by the truth of his gospel. That fruit may not be something we're always aware of in our lives. And I tell you, it might at times feel as if the tree is, is absolutely empty. But with the benefit of hindsight, believers can more easily see over the course of their Christian lives that, that yes, God has been at work in them, patiently producing all kinds of fruit. And yet the flow of this scripture here we're reading today, it calls us to be more attuned to that work God wants to do as it happens. And more than that, I would say, the sense of this text here is that, is that we should desire this fruit. We should seek this fruit from God. Not, not just be oblivious to the process and let God just kind of do it in the background, but, but no, to, to work with God in this by asking him for this fruit and, and thanking him for the fruit. And so I'd like to take this opening metaphor that the letter gives us and, and kind of put it in front of us for the series ahead. Let's be clear, for one thing, on the certainty of our place with Christ by his work at the cross. And let's therefore now be intentional about pursuing the good fruit in our lives that God wants to grow in us. Because I take it from from Paul and Timothy's prayer for growth and the encouragement for growth captured here in this text, I take it that, that we could resist God's desire to bear fruit in our lives and be left feeling empty. Or we could seek it from God and be left feeling full. We must be very careful as we go about that. As we do seek this fruit, we must be careful not to get the order of this gospel wrong. The transformation we're talking about, it, it's the fruit of having already been saved. So it can't happen the other way around. We have been saved by Jesus. We have been saved. The good that we now do and, and seek only grows out of that reality, it does not factor back into it. And we should also see too that it, it only can grow out of that reality, that the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the only root of truth that will produce good and, and God-centered fruit in our lives. We risk losing sight of our glorious Jesus if we fall into thinking that 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 kind of fruit can come from anywhere else in our lives. This letter should prompt us to be reflecting on our lives, reflecting on our own stories and journeys with Christ, and asking ourselves hard questions like, are we letting Jesus and his gospel now grow fruit in us? If so, then then let's desire that fruit all the more so, and let's ask more and give more thanks as we go. 
But if we're not being changed and, and grown by this gospel, then, then why not? Are we not thankful for our certain salvation in Jesus Christ? Or have we not really taken hold of it yet? Because hear this word of God in Scripture. Salvation is true for all who believe through the only Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, in whom we have the forgiveness of sins we so need. So the order, I guess, goes a little bit like this. Repent and believe this gospel of salvation, if you haven't already. Repent and believe. Salvation comes to you in Jesus Christ, and it can only come to you in Jesus Christ. It is offered to you by God the Father in pure grace. Receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. And then, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for that sure salvation and and know that his gospel will not fail. It will not fail for you, not even for me, nor for anyone who trusts in this gospel promise of God. And then, in that knowledge of your certain salvation, ask God for growth, for fruit in your life, and give thanks, as he does. Ask too for growth and for fruit in your brothers and sisters, as as Paul and Timothy model so beautifully here. May God bring us all to maturity, together, And may we all keep giving thanks to God for all the fruit that he does give. So too, thank and and pray for, for more gospel fruit increasing and abounding across the whole world in all who believe. May the kingdom of Jesus know no bounds, world without end, and to the fullness of every believer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your word to us in Scripture. And these truths today, Father, we pray that you would plant these truths deeply in us, that you have brought us into the kingdom of your Son, that you have forgiven us, that there is redemption secured for us by Jesus Christ at the cross. And we pray, Father, on the back of that, that you would now fill us with this this knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so we can walk in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus, fully pleasing to him. Let us bear fruit in every good work and increase all the more in our knowledge of you, O God, and give us strength to do this. Give us strength with your power, according to your glorious might, that, that we might endure and be patient in joy while we wait for the hope of heaven that you have set aside for us. Oh, we give thanks to you, Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.